0: Welcome to the second edition of the Sky U podcast by the Daily Gopher. I am Chris, go We have quite the crew with us this week. Uh, we've got uh, our fearless leader, Tom, Gopher Nation. Hello, everyone. Uh, we've got Mo018, uh, Mark. Greetings. We've got U Street. Hey, everybody. Gopher Guy05, Andy's back with us hello and we have iowa gopher blake
1: Save the best for last happy to be here
0: all right so really appreciate everyone who took the time to give us some feedback on the first edition of the podcast um, we've definitely taken a lot of that uh, into consideration and tried to find uh, some good balance we are not going to have six guys answering every question we've kind of divvied up who's going to take what um, but wanted to make sure everybody had a chance to hear who was going to be on uh, before we got started um To start us off, we're going to open up with something that's sort of a carryover from our hangout days back in 2013. Uh, Instead of what are we drinking, we're going to talk about what should you be drinking. Uh, And it's completely open. It's what should you be drinking because this is what we think is awesome right now, because of what the game was like last weekend. Whatever the reasoning is, everybody's got a little something to talk about as far as what they think you should be drinking. I'll open it up. I, I made mine based off of the game. Uh, The game was rough, so I I would have been looking for something smooth yet alcoholic uh, at that time period. Um, And so for me, that's uh, a bourbon maple, bourbon barrel black maple porter from Jackie O's brewing in uh, Ohio. Uh, Very high alcohol content, 11%, but it's also the smoothest uh, bourbon barrel beer I've ever had. So that's my what should we be drinking. Uh, Mark, what would you go for in the what should we be drinking category? So
2: uh this is gonna be sacrilegious, especially around the these this blog, the uh, gopher blog with a drinking problem. Uh, but uh I like to uh accompany my gopher games with a ice cold Pepsi. Um, and that's about all I have to say about that.
0: Yes, I would I, I have to say the sacrilegious part is that it wasn't coke, um, but that's just me personally. I'm not a Pepsi guy.
2: <laughs> Understood.
3: Wait, but what are you mixing with the Pepsi?
2: Uh, ice. Oh,
0: oh, okay. Wait, is it chips or cubes?
2: Um, this is important.
0: What? I'll kick you off if you have the wrong answer.
2: Uh, this is tough. Uh, it's the uh, I go and I get a bucket from the nearest uh, gas station of the uh, the really small cubes, the high quality ones.
0: Wow! I didn't even—that wasn't an answer I thought could be given to that question. You are now—I um, think you may have gotten lifetime podcast privileges with that answer. That is the best answer, uh, Tom. What should we be drinking?
3: You know, I'm kind of like you in that—that that I'm basing my drinking based on the last game, and the last game was really kind of meh, in my opinion. Right? Wasn't great. Wasn't bad. So, you know, we should be drinking some sort of middle-of-the-road bourbon. A quality bourbon that's in the $25 range, like a Evan Williams Single Barrel or a 1792 solid. You can drink it. It's a winner, but it's, you know, it's not going to blow your socks off.
0: Good stuff. Alex, what should we be drinking?
4: I, like you, Chris, thought we should consider how we were drinking based on the game. First game of the season is wildly overwhelming, but I have every confidence that the season's going to get better. If I think about that like a night of drinking, that is your pretty classic $2 PBR. And with that, back to you to discuss the game on Saturday.
0: Okay, the Buffalo game. It was, uh, it was a thing that happened. I don't think it was what everybody wanted to see, um, but it is certainly... Um, much better that it came out as a, as a win than, you know, the other option Um, just kind of recapping thoughts uh, from what you saw and and how you think things went. We'll start off with uh, Tom. How did you think, how did you think things went or what were your big takeaways from the game on Thursday?
3: Yeah, I kind of was saying, so with the drinking, right, it was just, it was just underwhelming, right. But, but we really should focus on the fact that it was a win, right? I mean, it was, it was a pretty vanilla playbook. Um, we were 24-point favorites and, and won by 10. Um, but it, it just wasn't it, – it didn't – it's not going to inspire people. So a lot of your fringe gopher fans that were starting to kind of hear all the, the Fleck hype and stuff, and then they see, oh, well, then we go and beat Buffalo by 10, right? But like I was saying in the Monday perspective, right, it's, it's a process, and it's a process to build, what Fleck is here to build, and he didn't come here to build upon what was already built. He came here to build his own thing, and so it's a process, and it it really doesn't matter. We should, you know, I'm happy that it's a win, and I think, uh, you know, I predicted seven and five, and we're still right about there. I think we'll see things improve. Um, I think things will. I think things will get better, not significantly, but things will get better. We'll we'll still meander to a six or seven, possibly an eight-win season if something goes dramatically
2: right
0: alright Mark what were your big takeaways from the game
2: um, so some might call it a cop out but we have to keep in mind this is the first game of the season and weird things happen to teams across college football in the first game of the season this is both good and bad uh, and I think maybe that's why we kind of saw the muddling that we saw from the Gophers you know buffalo was a terrible team last year we we still buffalos an unknown quantity going forward so we don't know if they'll end up you know 2 and 10 or 6 and 6 and this was just kind of a black game that you know against a 6 and 6 mac team that sorry we didn't run up the score by 30 or whatever folks were hoping to see but could just be getting used to the system you know uh, some folks were getting their first true game time under the lights Overall, I, I wasn't too worried one way or the other because for as close as the score was, I never felt like Buffalo was ever going to win the game. Uh, that could just be a feeling thing and no statistical basis, but if you take away that one perfect pass that their quarterback threw, uh, our defense was you know nails. Uh, the offense, yes, needs some work. The offensive line was a little shaky, but I don't foresee that being the major issue going forward. I think it's, as Tom was mentioning, it's, it's the process, and I think it's fine that they won, and they won ugly in the first game. It's better than losing,
0: and that's what I'll, I'll stick with. Street, what were your big takeaways?
4: I'll go in a little bit different direction. I would say to be a bit more pessimistic. In week one, we saw that the offensive line that we thought was going to be an issue is going to be an issue, and it's going to be one all season. There are a lot of reasons for that. It's very young, got a lot of new players. It's not that talented. But I saw a lot of technique issues, and I saw a complete lack of getting push, especially on inside zones, which I think Flex said today they ran 31 times. We're continuing to be in this world in which we have these all-star running backs who are having to beat a tackler two yards in the backfield on a regular basis. And while it is true it's only game one, that's something that I think is concerning for games two and games three, and I think that's something to pay attention to. It also made it a little bit difficult for us to evaluate how our quarterbacks actually were, because the offense it wasn't able to do what we really wanted to do, run the ball successfully, set up RPOs and play action passes. Chris, do you think, based on this first week and going forward, uh, that the QB play is going to get better? Uh, how do you think that's going to change? Uh, as, we, as we see in this game in Buffalo, and then moving to Oregon State?
0: You know, I felt like I kind of answered uh, a similar type of question from the Building the Dam uh, folks when, they, when I did my Q&A with them. And the answer is, I really, it's so hard to tell. Like, I know what I want to happen, and what I want to happen just feels so distinctly removed from what I think might actually happen. I'm confident that the coaches want to expand what the quarterbacks are doing for this next game, but I have absolutely no idea how that's going to work out or if it's going to work out. Um, And so that's one of the big things for me is just kind of looking to see as we start being a little less vanilla, you know, which quarterback steps forward and, really kind of establishes themselves with the, the more um, robust elements of the offense. The, the run-pass option, um, just you know the short passing game. Whatever it is that the coaches are adding in, who's doing the better job of getting there? Um, Blake, what are you kind of looking for for the quarterback play moving forward, either just for this next game or in the coming weeks?
1: And to be honest with you, after that first game, I just, I don't see, unless one of them makes a a huge leap in terms of performance this Saturday, I just don't see one emerging until at least Big Ten play. I mean, just looking at that, at that game alone, um, the thing that stood out to me after the fact, I mean, during the game, we all talked offline that Rhoda seemed like he had a better control of the offense, but just looking back and kind of breaking down those drives, the offense seemed to run a lot smoother when Croft was in there, especially in the running game. I think um, when you broke it down, the offense averaged like four points some carries or yards per carry when Croft was under center. And when Roto was under center was something like um, 2.78. So that's, I mean, that's a full yards difference. So I just think Croft is, you know, he's the younger quarterback. He's the more dynamic quarterback. He just gives that offense, that run pass option offense, a little different look. Um, So obviously you want to see him take control, but it's just, and it's like you said, it's hard to gauge that for first just from how vanilla it was. Um, So this Saturday, I'm kind of hoping that, Fleck and Chirac kind of open up the offense a little bit more we can see him um you know throw, throw the ball down the field a little bit more even on you know wrote a touchdown pass it was mostly yards after a catch which thank god we finally see after how many years of just uh and dunking but um I, I just really don't know what to expect after that first game I was kind of open for more but um they didn't ask him to do a whole lot so I was just looking for that that next step forward
0: Tom, was there something I know this was a topic that you were very interested in getting into. What what do you what are your thoughts on the QB play after game one and moving forward into the, the other games coming up?
3: Well, going off um, a little bit of what Blake was saying, huh? I think the offense he he was saying that the yards accumulated yards per play under Croft was better than under Fleck and I, I'm sorry, Fleck, um than under Rhoda. But I also think just looking at the total drives, right? A lot of us look back and be like, well, it seemed like Rhoda had a better game, but he played a lot more, well, a handful of more series. Um, and when you look at the number of series played versus how many drives were actually like scorable drives, which is a term I just made up. But Croft, I believe, so I think there were 14 drives in the game and two of them ended at halves. So that leaves 12 left, right? Rhoda had seven drives, then where two of them ended in were significant drives which were like eight plays or more you know ate up some chunks of yard ate up some time off the clock and resulted in a scoring opportunity right one of them was the interception in the end zone one of them was a missed field goal Um, and that doesn't include his touchdown which i feel like we need to call out of course because it was a touchdown on a big play, but that was also kind of a, a big play with, with, with a lot of yards after the catch. Croft, on the other hand, had five drives, and three of them were significant drives. One was a touchdown that was in the Shannon Brooks touchdown. One was a field goal at the end of the game to essentially ice the game, and then one in the middle there was a, was a missed field goal, right? So I just feel like the offense moved better and added a different dimension when Croft was in there, and I think they were both about the same throwing the ball. Um, but I feel like the offense just moved better with Croft in there, and I don't know when, but I think he'll be the guy that eventually takes it over.
0: Alex, I think that's probably a sentiment that a lot of people share. It certainly seems to be the sentiment in the comments that people think Croft has a different dimension. I, you know, you can hear all of us kind of getting into it. Um, from your perspective, since you're kind of the the, the seminar guy uh, on staff. Um, do you see that as being true? Do you really believe that Croft offers a different dimension if they, as they start to expand the playbook? Or when you're looking ahead at the QB play, do you really think it's going to come down simply to execution um, solely based off of uh, who's just more consistent?
4: I certainly think Croft adds a bit of a different dimension in that he's a better runner than Conor Rode is. It's seen from the first game, we touched on a little bit in the blog and the comments, shout out to commenters who we discussed this with, that Rhoda basically always gave in a way that was either planned or he was missing a read. And I'm inclined to think it wasn't the second one of those, in part because I don't think he would have continued to play if he was consistently missing a read on the most basic play in their playbook. Where I do think Croft gives you an advantage is that he is a threat to pull the ball down and run, and he's, more or less an equivalent passer. In this offense, I think if you've got two people who are roughly equivalent in skill level and one of them is younger, you should play the younger one more. What I do think in the quarterback question, though, is there is a lot of stuff that we don't see, i.e. the stuff that's going on in practice, and I think that's where this is actually happening. It's not so much what we saw in the game, but what they're seeing on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And as a result, I think they're going to row the boat for at least two more games with Connor Roda. And then after non-conference, I think we're going to decide.
0: Moving along, Oregon State has had a rough start to their season. Uh, they got shellacked by Colorado State in a game that wasn't supposed to be played until um, later in September. And then I guess sometime over the summer, I didn't even realize this happened until they were playing, but sometime over the summer they agreed to move it so that uh, Colorado state could open against an actual opponent um, since it was the first game or became the first game in their brand new stadium on campus stadium. Um, And after getting uh, spanked by Colorado state, they went out and played um, FCS Portland state, the Portland state Vikings. Don't ask me how they got that nickname. I think it makes no sense. Um, And then they barely hung on to win by a field goal. So, you know, a lot of issues there. Um, Blake, when you're looking ahead to Oregon State, what has you excited as far as um, the Gophers' chances?
1: I mean, there's a, there's a couple of matchups I'll be watching. Um, in particular, Oregon State's rushing defense isn't particularly good. I mean, they played an FCS program last Saturday and allowed 291 rushing yards. So I'd say if there's a cure for the Gophers' rushing woes, it's hopefully the Oregon State defensive front. Um, I think if we continue to struggle against them, it's going to be a long season. I mean, it is early in the year, and they may improve. But, I mean, this is just too easy pickings for them to not be able to perform, especially when you've got Rodney Smith and Shannon Brooks in the backfield. Um, something else I'm going to be watching is um, one thing we didn't mention was I thought the secondary played pretty well against Buffalo. I mean, other than that one drive, where the touchdown drive. And rewatching that later, I mean, those are two NFL passes from Tyree Jackson. I mean, he had Keionder Thomas on the 50-yarder and then Antonio Chenault in the end zone. And, I mean, if Chenault had looked back, he probably could have intercepted that. But um, those were less egregious looking back than they were during the game when I was just kind of pulling my hair out. But I thought the secondary bounced back really well and really shut them down the second half. So they'll be facing um, an Idaho transfer quarterback at, at Oregon State. He's actually there. Hey, this is the third consecutive season they've had a new starting quarterback, and this Luton's from Idaho, and he's had kind of a mixed bag so far. These first couple of games, I think he threw three picks in the second half against um, Colorado State, where they just start airing it out. Um, once the Rams just started loading up on points, so uh, they got they got a couple of good receivers too. Jordan Villeman, he's a senior wide receiver, and they've got um, a pretty good tight end. So it'll be interesting to see how this secondary holds up against a decent to mediocre passing game. Um, cause I think it, that that's going to be my biggest concern going into the season was how good that thin secondary is going to be. But, um, I think this game will give us a better idea of what to expect there. And I'm really looking forward to seeing Emmett Carpenter maybe bounce back after that kind of a rough start last week. I really was hoping to see more from him, but you know, it's kind of a weird game. So I think, and I think with how kind of junky the offenses look, they're going to need him to be able to put some points on the board for him. So look to see him bounce back this Saturday. But yeah. Other than that, it's really yeah, the secondary against their quarterback, and hopefully we can get some rushing yards. But those are the things I'm looking forward to.
0: Mark, uh, looking what are you looking forward to or, or looking at when it comes to uh, the game this Saturday?
2: Well, speaking mostly from a my, macro excuse me a macro sense, um, I like the idea of the team going on the road early in the season just to get a feel for that process, especially with considering all the young players that we're using and getting playing time. Granted, let's be honest, Oregon State isn't the uh, strongest opponent in the world, even though they're a big five opponent. Um, It's safe to say that no one's really shaking in their shoes. Now, obviously, we can't really talk down about anyone I just like the idea of us going on the road against a, a Pac-12 team uh, and just getting a sense for what this team, that this team being Minnesota of course, is going how how they're going to perform under the new coaching regime and just in general. Um, as Blake mentioned, I like the idea of uh, what is supposed to be our strength matching up against their weakness, and I just hope that we will maybe have a little bit more variety as it comes to running the ball. Um, and I think one of the running backs, I don't know which one, but I think one of them is going to have a, have a good game. But that's just the improvement in running is what I'll be really looking forward to against Oregon State.
0: Alex? Is there anything specific that you're looking forward to, um, looking at schematically? Um, Do you have any guesses as to what might get added in uh, to complement the inside zone that we saw so much of uh, on Thursday?
4: I suspect we'll see an outside zone at least once or twice. I'm looking for technique improvements on the offensive line. I think the nice bit about week one, as everyone mentioned previously, is that it's week one stuff happens this is the first game where i think it was kind of rhoda saying it was the first game he got to cheer for the defense i think it's also similarly if you're the offensive line it was the first time you got to go against a team that was not on your team and that hopefully will provide good film it'll provide teachable moments hopefully they will correct a few things so that i think is what i'm looking at how does the offensive line perform Because I think that'll probably set up everything else. I expect that if they can beat Oregon State running uh, some sort of quick out, the inside zone, the outside zone, and some kind of post route, so the only play that they've really added from week one to week two is an outside zone, that that's what they're going to do.
0: Do you think the reason that they're staying vanilla is solely because they want to see... Well, A, because they have it kind of scripted. Like in general, they have a plan for how they want to expand their playbook. B, because they really want to see execution on the simple things before they add in more difficulty. Or uh, C, um, that they just don't want to put stuff on film. Is it a combination of those? Or do you think there's one driving factor that's led to the vanilla playbook after week one?
4: I'm sure that they don't want to put something on film if they don't have to, like all coaches. But it doesn't seem that Fleck and Taraka brought an offense that is substantially different than the one that Western Michigan ran. Consequently, most of their film already exists. You just have to go look at Western Michigan cutups. I really believe that they want to get their base plays executed at a high level before they move other things in. As you said frequently on the blog, as Tom mentioned in this podcast, it's year one. And Fleck is going to do things his way. And I think that probably starts from an actual schematic and execution standpoint, saying we are really going to run the following four plays well. And when we can run those really well, we're going to move on to something else. But until we can run those four plays well, if I don't need to run 20 plays to beat you, I'm going to work those four plays in-game. That's my guess, Chris.
0: Yeah, I think that I think that makes a lot of sense. Something that um, I think Mark had said for me, this is just an interesting game. I'm not afraid of Oregon State. I don't mean that to be disrespectful, and I don't mean it to sound like I think Minnesota's a shoo-in to win this game because I think Minnesota is absolutely, positively not a shoo-in. I think they could completely lose this game in any number of ways. But for whatever reason, you know, I'm just I'm just not afraid of Oregon State. I think Minnesota is perfectly capable of beating them, even if they're not playing their best game um, we'll just have to see if that holds true. Um, real quickly, the air quality, we've talked about the fires briefly, uh, and, and um, sounds like Oregon state, you know, practiced outside, uh, today, which makes no sense to me given what I was reading about the air quality. But, uh, do you real quick, does anybody think that the PAC 12 or Oregon state has anything resembling a plan, uh, for, Air quality, if, if, if the air quality is terrible on Saturday, do they have any idea what to do? Because I don't, they can't really cancel the game, can they?
4: I will jump in and say, merely given how Pac 12 refs work, that whatever they have planned will not be executed. And whatever is the worst possible decision, if something actually terrible is occurring, will happen.
1: I, I would have to think at best it's going to be a change of venue. I just, I mean, a postponement, I don't know. I mean, when would it be? I mean, when would that game be? So, and I, I, to be honest, I don't know what the options for change of venue would be be either. So yeah, I don't know. I really, I hope they do, but yeah, with with, considering the Pac-12's reputation, I have my doubts.
0: Yeah. I I think we have to go fingers crossed that the, the weather is cooperative and the breezes change and it rains because I can't I mean, I can't imagine it'll have to be some version of, of the Wisconsin kneel down only in, uh, game delay form for air quality issues, or worst of all, they'd make them play in terrible air quality. And then all of our players have bronchitis for the rest of the year, which would be fantastic. Um, all right. So switching gears a little bit, we're going to kind of move on to some basketball talk. Um, Obviously, something that I feel like, given the significance of it, got overshadowed a little bit um, last week was Eric Curry's injury. Um, for those who, you know, aren't kind of focused on basketball quite yet this season, uh, Eric Curry uh, tore, I think, pretty much every ligament you can tear in your knee um, in a in a pickup game uh, last week, and it was actually announced. Maybe not even two hours before kickoff on Thursday night. Um, clearly, I think that's going to have a major impact on the team this season. Um, but to kind of get some more thoughts on that, uh, let's turn it over to the the folks who are really focused on, on basketball here: Mark, Tom, and Street. Mark, wh- wh- what's your takeaway from the Eric Curry injury? How um, serious do you think that is for the Gophers' hopes of you know? I would say you know, let's just say making a decent run in the NCAA tournament?
2: Uh, I hate to use hyperbole, especially in a negative sense, because I'm kind of the, uh, the staff's eternal optimist. But when I heard the news, it was just like a punch in the gut, because A, I think Eric Curry is a fantastic player, and he's super fun to watch, and he's also, you know, this young man who's, had a season basically taken away from him now granted he was fortunate that it was early in his career and hopefully his rehab goes well and he can get back to having a successful college and possibly professional career somewhere but as far as it relates to our season he was going to be a very important piece for us he has fantastic athleticism he was definitely developing a outside shot for his size which would have been great for mismatches on the perimeter uh, I don't know what his training regiment looked like in the off season, but I was certainly hoping that he was shooting hundreds of threes a, a day to get ready for that pick and pop with one of our guards super quick guards but I just think it hurts our depth and now we're going to have to rely on two guys for different reasons who may not be ready to fill those minutes fully and uh, Michael Hurt and um, uh, Dante Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald coming off of multiple knee injuries and Hurt uh, coming off a of freshman year where he seemed overmatched at times. While I still like our team's chances to compete at a high level and definitely uh, cause some noise in the Big Ten um, losing a player of Curry's caliber is, is definitely a blow. Uh, I don't know if there'll be season long implications that I can really project out right now, but it's, it's definitely disappointing from a, a basketball first guy like myself. And I'm sure, uh, Tom shares some of those feelings as well. Yeah, I think you've, you've hit on a lot of it.
3: Um, obviously, right. That that Eric Curry was so versatile that he could he could back up at the center position and at the power forward position and be very effective at it, right? Like, think back to the Purdue game when he was going up against Haas from Purdue because Lynch had been in foul trouble or fouled out, and he played awesome in stretches against, against Haas, who is a monster. I mean, that guy is huge. He's like Dolph Lundgren with some basketball skills. Um, but... But now, this, this as you were just talking, actually, it just kind of hit me that this now puts, especially our front court, in a position where if somebody else gets injured, we're in real trouble, right? And it puts us back to kind of what happened at the end of the season this year when Springs goes down, right? Like, everything was hunky-dory when Springs was still there. And Springs was important, but he wasn't necessarily the linchpin. It was just the fact that all of those minutes that he took up now had nobody else to go to. So now all these minutes that that Curry was going to play, whether it was just his regular minutes, and then the additional minutes he plays when people get in foul trouble, because, let's face it, Reggie Lynch gets in foul trouble. Well, now those are falling to Fitzgerald, who I think is going to be okay at the power forward position. Curry, I'm sorry, not Curry, um, Hurt, like you mentioned. But also now we're relying on Kanate again a little bit more. Um, And those things are not comforting to me. And now if somebody else gets injured, well, now Kanate's starting or Fitzgerald is starting. And and that just, it, it hurts your depth a lot. So if everything goes well, if everybody stays healthy, we should still be okay. I mean, our backcourt's going to be a lot better, but now our front court is so much thinner. Um, it's it's concerning. I still think this is an NCAA tournament team. Um, I don't know how I feel about their chances beyond that, but I I don't know how strongly I felt about it. Anyway, other than just because it, a lot of it really just depends on matchups and health and who's hot and things of that nature at that point in the season. Alex, what are your thoughts?
4: Yeah, I, it sucks. I think the, the other reason that it, that it sucks is that it limits the flexibility that you could have had with this team. Part of the advantage of Curry being able to back up the 4 or the 5 is that you can have a lineup where Jordan Murphy is at the 4 and Curry is at the 5, which, if you throw what our usual backcourt is going to be, is a lineup that can get up and down very quickly, has potentially multiple shooters on the floor, not only looks very fun, but also would be very hard to guard. And that could bring in, especially sort of like mid-second half, that sort of unit that can kind of power, a few, have a few minutes, get up and down the floor, really tire another team out while Lynch is resting and then come back in and he can continue to be the defensive shutdown presence that we know Reggie Lynch is going to be, would have been really exciting to watch. I am sure that Richard Petino was thinking along those lines. Not necessarily that specific unit at that specific time, but rather the flexibility that I have with this lineup because I've got players that can play multiple positions. I have no idea what to expect from Devontae Fitzgerald because Devontae Fitzgerald has had multiple knee operations in the past, and until he actually gets out on a court, I don't think we can trust him to play in a game. I hope he's great. I hope that he's fully rehabbed because we're absolutely going to need him. I also think that we have now entered from a kind of projection standpoint. The Govers are still an NCAA tournament team without Eric Curry, but they're probably no longer a potential dark horse favorite for the Big Ten championship without Eric Curry. And I share similar pessimism that they would be a viable multi-round team in the NCAA tournament precisely because they just don't have the depth anymore and they don't have the people that can match up. So I think it's a really tough injury. The only silver lining of it is that it happened at the very beginning of the year, which means you can plan around it in a way that you wouldn't be able to plan around. Also, separate from this, but just on who you should follow on Twitter, Eric Curry is a legitimately great dude. His mother is incredible and is an absolutely wonderful Twitter follower. So I uh, strongly feel for the entire family uh, as well as the Gophers. That's my view on it, Chris.
3: I'll jump in though quick with one more optimistic look on this. And it really does nothing for us in the 2017-18 season. But down the road, we had some issues at the power forward slash center position in terms of numbers with everybody graduating at the same time. And this gives, we're still going to have some issues uh, next year, but this does give Curry an extra year which, um, and as more talent is coming in and as those guys grow older and now they're kind of getting closer to the Curry, Curry's kind of coming back to that group, that it, it, might, it might end up being some sort of a special team um, in a couple of years when Curry's still around in a year that he wouldn't have been around otherwise.
0: All right. For anybody who hasn't been uh, following closely enough, the volleyball team, is now the number one ranked team uh, in the country, which, I mean, short of women's hockey a bazillion times in the last couple of years and men's hockey back before their latest Frozen Four push, I can't – I mean, we're. I don't think there's been another um, – Minnesota team that's that's taken that number one spot in any other sport. So this is a legitimately big deal. Sure, it's early in the season. It doesn't necessarily mean a lot. Um, But it's it's a legitimately big deal and something that people should be excited about and paying attention to. Uh, Andy, uh, what are your thoughts after, you know, Minnesota put together another uh, three match sweep over over the weekend?
5: Well, it wasn't even just a three-match sweep. It was three of them. They won the uh, Diet Coke Classic at the uh, new Joel Maturi Pavilion, which, you know, we can talk about later. But um, the team does look like the number one team in the country. I, I thought they might take a slight step back because they graduated so much talent last year in the Tap Twins and, and Sarah Wilhite. Uh, but their younger players have really stepped up big. Um uh, uh, Alexis Hart, who is a sophomore this year, has been just amazing on the front lines. Uh, Samantha Silliger-Swenson, who's a junior, uh, she was a Big Ten Senator of the Year last year. She won Big Ten Senator of the Week last week. She legitimately uh, should be first-team All-American when the season's said and done. She's that good. They've really impressed, and uh, if they can hold this together, this is going to be a special team. The scary thing is, is, they don't lose a ton of senior talent. They lose their libero. Um, but they bring pretty much everybody back next year. Oh, by the way, the Final Four next year is at the Target Center. So 2019 is really, or 2018 is really the year where I think uh, the for volleyball team is going to be trying to make that run and hopefully not even have to leave the state of Minnesota to win a national title. This weekend is when it's going to be... Uh, probably the most marquee matchup on their non-conference schedule. They have a, a four-team tournament down at uh, the University of Texas, the American Campus Classic. Thursday is sort of the throwaways. They play Denver and uh, UT Corpus Christi, in which should be relatively easy victories for them. But Friday night, they get to play number 5 Texas in their home gym, live on the Long Herd Network if you were one of the Eight people that have direct TV and get that, or you should be able to scream it if you watch ESPN. Um, but check out this team. Uh, they are really impressive. And if they can beat Texas, I mean, go relatively undefeated into the Big Ten schedule, which we all know, or if you pay attention to Big Ten volleyball, you know the Big Ten is by far the Big Ten, uh, the best uh, conference in NCAA volleyball between Minnesota, Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan State. Uh, that's four top team, four top 10 teams already. So they are uh, getting ready for a loaded conference schedule, but things are definitely looking positive here early in the year. So kind
0: of also, this has been a really big week for hockey news too, especially if you, if you stretch back into last week. Andy, can you help, help us understand why are we signing verbals or taking verbal commitments from 13-year-olds?
5: Uh, that's a very good question. One that I really can't answer. I I think Scott Bell, who's the new assistant coach, former Gopher great, uh, was an scout for the Pittsburgh Penguins the last few years, uh, took over the second assistant spot after Grant Patolny now took the uh, head coaching job at Northern Michigan. He's really got connections in with the youth programs in the state of Minnesota. So I think that's one of the main reasons why you're seeing the Gophers all of a sudden here in the last week getting three or four Minnesota-based kids. Um, he's really, you know, I think, come on and taken the reins in that recruiting. Uh, so, the two people you're talking about are the uh, the Lucius brothers, Cruz and Chaz Lucius. Well, as you said, Cruz, I believe, is currently fourteen, and Chaz is thirteen, and yet they've accepted supposedly verbal offers from the University of Minnesota to play hockey. They would be the two youngest players who ever accepted a verbal for the Gophers. Um, they, they're they're great talents for their age. The, the The trick is, and Nate Wells had a really good article on this um, at Gopher State on Twitter. You can look him up. When you get players that are recruited this young, do they live up to their potential by the time they finally become able? Uh, you know, we're not going to see either one of the Lucius brothers playing in a Gopher uniform till 2022 at the earliest. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you wonder why we're recruiting them so early, but you know it's it's the way. Just like you see college football players and college basketball players accepting scholarships younger and younger, it's the way it's going, and it, it's it's kind of stupid, but uh, it's just the way the the system is starting to work nowadays.
0: Uh, what else is what else has caught your eye as the big things for um, Gopher hockey fans to be paying attention to uh, over this last week? Because I know the Lucius brothers are definitely not the only piece.
5: No, no, we picked up uh, some other great recruits. Uh, just earlier this evening, the Gophers got a verbal from, uh, sorry, I had his name here, Jake Vercini, uh, Jake who was the Bantam, so you're looking at 10th and 11th grade players. He was the Bantam Player of the Year in the state of Minnesota last year. Um, He he verbal. he's from the Buffalo area, so he'll be looking to be on the Gopher roster probably 2019 or so. Uh, but another really good forward, they're, they're really hitting Minnesota hard, you know, for all the people out there who were concerned that the Gophers were recruiting people from all over, and oh god, we've even got Canadians now. Uh, Minnesota's really hit the Minnesota recruiting scene hard in the last few weeks here since Bell has come in to, to coach, and uh, they definitely um, are looking back to being the quote-unquote pride on ice uh, for the state of Minnesota here in a few years, uh, but Speaking of which, another Minnesotan uh, it came out yesterday or earlier today officially that uh, Connor Hurley, who is from Edina, uh, transferred in uh, from Notre Dame to the Gophers. He has to sit out this year, uh, but he should be able to uh, play for the Gophers next season and have one year of eligibility remaining. So uh, I'll send it back to you, Chris, and you can take some other quick questions.
0: All right. Um, so let's. Kind of, this is something we're going to try. We did it last week. Um, we're going to try to make it how we end um, our our podcasts. Um, we're just going to do kind of a quick round-robin of questions. Simple, uh, simple yes-no questions or, or questions with fairly straightforward answers. Uh, see if uh, everybody... Get some some banter to end our, our show. Sorry, I'm I'm laughing here. Uh, you may have heard that was one of our illustrious bloggers. Their child was displeased, and and he had to drop um, drop off. Um, taking a look at our quick questions, uh, running across the group here. Who has the better game on Saturday, uh, Demry Craft or Connor Rhoda? We'll start with Blake.
1: I'm going to go with the controversial choice here, um, Mitch Leidner. I think he's he's a three year starter. Just got dropped by the Vikings I think he's gonna have a great game on Saturday um, but on a serious note um, I want it to be Demry, but I just for some reason think that the staff has more faith in in Rota to air it out and I think he's gonna have better success um, against this Oregon State secondary I mean I want I think we all want Demry to do well but um, and I think with Demry, it'll just depend on if they can take advantage of that defensive front so but for some reason I've just got a feeling that Rota's gonna going to have a good game. So we'll see.
0: Mark, Croft, Rhoda or Leidner as the, uh, game ball winner on Saturday.
2: Uh, wow. I, I don't even know how to respond. Um, actually I do. I think it's going to be Croft. I think if I'm remembering correctly, Oregon state did apply some pressure last year to Leidner on a few occasions. And since we know that our offensive line is still working out the kinks, I think Croft will be able to extend a few drives by his mobility. And not to take anything away from Rhoda, he was definitely serviceable. But I think it'll still be very close between the two again, as we saw in this last game. But I'll, I'll take Croft by a nose.
0: All right. I'm skipping Tom because we don't need to hear conversations about uh, Adam Weber as a quarterback coach um, for Jed Fish over at UCLA. Yes, they made that amazing comeback. No, we don't need to talk about it. Um, Alex, who you got, Demry or Rhoda?
4: Croft will have a better game because he'll have more of the playbook. I think Rhoda will do just fine, but I think Croft will have a better game. Also, can I interject? I interject here, real quick. There's something I,
1: I want to get off my chest. Um, the last the, the Saturday game against Buffalo, um, the Twitter account for the Daily Gopher tweet out wrote a Boat and then immediately after that Rhoda through an interception? I just like to say that was a peer pressure tweet by by Tom, and I think I told him I warned him it was a jinx, so you jinxed us, Blake. It's not Rhoda's fault, it's Tom's. I just want to get that off my chest. We may proceed. <laughs>
3: Hard to find good interns, isn't it?
0: (laughs) Well, you know, I think we got it. We have to. I mean, let's be fair. Our Twitter game during games for the last couple years has been weak. It has been extremely weak. And while I didn't stare at our account to make sure that Blake wasn't, you know, out there getting us all of our press passes revoked, what I did (laughs) see involves some quality GIF work. And I'm, you know, for anyone who's not uh, already uh, paying attention, please at the Daily Gopher, Blake will be uh, taking over game day tweeting duties, uh, and you can look forward to a more elite, uh, a more elite account uh, during the games uh, as he changes our best. Because frankly, Tom and I uh, and Andy and I, we're, we're we're typically the primary ones working that account, and during games, that's just not our thing. We kind of watch the games. Um, but Blake is the millennial and has the ability to multitask, uh, (laughs) while the rest of us old farts can only, you know, watch and drink or drink and tweet, uh, you put all three together or in Tom's case, he's got Sid, you know, chattering off to the left somewhere. Uh, you know, things get troublesome. So keep, keep an eye on the daily go for Twitter account during the games. You're going to see, um, much stronger, much stronger tweet game coming out. all right, Blake, do we have a 100-yard rusher? And I should clarify, I'm asking for a single 100-yard rusher because I got all ambitious with this question last week, and then Jack happened. So do we have a single 100-yard rusher this week?
1: Yeah, gotta hope so. Because if not, we probably haven't had a good good game. But for some reason, I think Brooks is due. I think he'll have a 100-yard game. Um, ideally, like you'd like to see both him and Smith have one, but... Um, I think he breaks at least one long touchdown this game and gets over that century mark.
0: So, fingers crossed. Mark, 100-yard rusher this week?
2: Sure, why not? We'll go with, uh, I'll go opposite and say Rodney gets the job done. Uh, some of his special uh, spin moves that he showed Oregon State last year, he'll he'll pull those out of the back pocket again.
0: All right, Tom, any 100-yard rushers this week?
2: Yes, Shannon
3: Brooks will, will lead the team in rushing this week.
4: Alex? Brooks with 100 yards, Rodney with 85.
0: Very specific. Are you sure it won't be 87?
4: I'm pretty confident, though I will say it is the most Minnesota thing in the world that we can only jinx our players. So the only whenever we tweet something, something bad happens. Uh, so I'm, <laughs> I'm going I'm to stick with 85. I don't Back to
3: that, it. that was really comical because I'd been telling Blake... Tweet wrote a boat for me. Tweet wrote a boat, as in Rhoda boat. And the 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 second after he finally tweets it, Rhoda throws an interception. I was like, oh great,
1: Blake, you jinxed us way to go. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it too. He kept best me. I was like, oh, I don't know about this. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay, it, I'll just do it. And then look what happens. It was the one good drive Rhoda had all
3: game, and then and then you jinxed us. I try. I try to tell you.
0: Tom, I want to note that that's a real missed opportunity to ask a great question in the press conference. Like you're there, Rod is at the podium. Like, I think I would have asked something to the effect of. When you were coming out of the huddle, did you just feel this sense of Twitter expectation upon you that you had to do something special and as a result you picked the wrong read? Because if so, I can introduce you to our intern and you can berate them.
3: (laughs) That's a good point. I was thinking when you first brought this up, really I should go with, Connor, how do you feel about Coach Fleck changing the phrase to Rota Boat and, and getting his reaction to that?
0: You could you could do a how are you feeling a how are you how how are you feeling question how are you feeling about the the tagline of, of go for football now being so similar to your name go
4: Hey Connor can you talk about boat?
0: not row the boat rodeboat I'll, I'll I'll let you go
3: <laughs> I'll hang up and listen
0: All right pass rush pass rush for the next game does it uh, improve enough to generate 3 sacks Blake
1: not a chance. I have very little faith in this defensive line. If, if they do get sacked, it's going to be with Celestine or Martin because they were in the backfield the most against um, Buffalo. So yeah, I don't think three sacks is happening. Mark,
2: I do, and I'll give you who who's going to do it. Whoa. You're going to get a you're going to get a corner blitz, or no? Strike that. It'll be a safety blitz. Winfield will get one. You'll see uh, Carter Coughlin get one off the edge. He'll just blow past someone with his lightning quick speed, and uh, we'll see uh, Thumper get one as well. Who, who's and Thumper? someone else will get one.
0: Whoa, 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 hold up! So we got two questions. First of all, uh, who's the, who's the fourth? Who's going to get? Who's going to be the fourth here that's going to
2: get? Mystery him? player. It it could be anybody. Coonley it could Allende. be someone getting two sacks.
0: Do we do we count it as two people if they run uh, Winfield from safety and corner and he gets one at each position? Does that count?
2: Uh, that's a that's a good question. I'm gonna say that it counts as the same person.
0: Just because he has the same name and is physically the same inhabiting the same body, that seems like a crock.
2: I know that that's definitely a cop out, but that's I'm I'm sticking to my guns here.
4: You never step into the same backfield twice, guys. It's always a different one.
0: Tom's question was, who is Thumper? That's actually a good question for anybody who may not have uh, caught that in. I don't remember who wrote about it, but I know it came up in the broadcast last week. That's Celestin, isn't it?
2: That is correct.
0: Yeah, so Jonathan Celestin, linebacker, uh, is considered Thumper. Uh, I I think it's just because he likes hitting people. Am I missing a detail?
2: He's generally considered the hardest hitter on the team, according to his teammates, who would probably know the best, since they were hitting each other for four weeks recently
0: well since you know interesting detail since we're at the end of this uh i was actually once known as slupper by my teammates but it was little league baseball and it's because when i came to the plate i would hit the plate like 25 times with my bat before i'd be ready to swing (laughs) (laughs)
2: that's that's a much that's a much better way
0: did you then become bobby Bonilla? I don't remember Bobby Bonilla's batting routine, so quickly for me, just quickly give me that detail so I don't uh, get this wrong.
4: So, so it would change over time, but I specifically call it he'd begin sort of almost parallel to to the pitcher, and then he would just contort himself and then have his bat swinging up and down ridiculously behind him until the pitch was about to go, and then just take. The first two pitches, regardless.
0: So for me, 25 is a slight exaggeration, but I mean, it was on average, my guess is probably three to seven whacks at the plate when I'd come up. And the thing is, is that I do it between pitches. It wasn't like it was my routine for when I just got up there. And if I was frustrated, it would get more and more emphatic. So like I'd be down 0-2 and I'd be like chopping wood. Like I'm I'm taking an axe to a log and I'm just like thumping the plate.
2: I just want to say that being Bobby Bonilla is a very good thing because the man is still making uh I believe it's what it, it remind me someone if they if they know what I'm talking about, but he makes like he makes like five million a year still from the Mets.
3: Yeah, I don't know the number, but he's still on the payroll. Like, that's an easily
2: Googled thing. He's still on. And he hasn't played in, like, uh, 15 years.
4: I can tell you this. Bobby Bonilla gets paid $1.19 million every single year on July 1st for some unbelievable number of years in the future. This is a lesson. If you can restructure your contract, to have a long-term deferred pension, do it. It's a good financial deal.
0: Also, uh, you will see, now you made it all sound smart. I was just going to make fun of the Mets for being dumb, but...
4: I mean, the Mets gave their money to Bernie Madoff. So, plenty of things there, too.
3: It's 2035. <laughs>
0: 2035. Wait, seriously? Yeah. All right, Bobby. Bobby, you have... Uh, your financial planning game is on point, my friend. Um, because that's actually ridiculously smart. Um which is worse? A game that kicks off at 9 p.m. Central or one that kicks off at 11 a.m.? And I'm going to answer first. The answer is 9 p.m. Central because I live in the Eastern time zone, which means it's 10 p.m. Eastern. And not only is that a stupid time for a game that you truly care about to kick off, uh, it also happens to fall on the weekend where uh, a buddy from New York City is coming into town and you haven't seen him in a year and you know he's going to want to be out drinking. And so, yeah, I may not even get to watch the game. Uh, and I'd like to think you're in
3: charge of Twitter.
0: <laughs> yeah. Cause that's, that's not going to get our press pass revoked. Yeah. No, that's a bad idea. We're going to keep that in Blake's hands. I, so I would like to blame PAC 12 after dark for making me miss possibly. Um, well, I don't, I don't think the game's going to be that exciting, but I don't like missing games. It's just, it go. people don't get married in the fall. And I mean, I guess I can't blame my buddy for visiting, but. I can blame the Pac-12 for making the game happen when it did. Anyway, everybody else. Mark, which is worse, 9 p.m. or 11 a.m.? Before I keep ranting.
2: There's no such thing as a bad time to have a college football game.
0: Okay, let me rephrase. Which is the (laughs) less optimal? Because you're you're completely right. I I should clarify. I don't think 9 p.m. is a bad time for college football. I think it's a bad time for gophers to play college football. Which, Uh, Which is the less optimal time for you personally to watch a gopher game? 9 p.m. Central or 11 a.m. Central.
2: It really depends because in this case, the nine start time is fortuitous. I have a evening activity that will be ending at nine o'clock, uh, and if I had had maybe an 11 o'clock start, you know, now I can watch you know maybe four football games in a row.
1: So I'll go with the uh, 11 o'clock being the less preferred. I'll jump in and say, I mean, to Chris's note about the friend coming, you know, obviously friendships are bad. Um, I got three weddings this fall on Saturdays, all during gopher games. So, um, listeners out there, don't make friends, especially ones that are uh, in their 20s, going to get married at some point. Um, but as far as the 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. goes, 9 p.m. is definitely worse. 11, a, 11 a.m., I mean, if the gophers lose, it's a terrible game. Come two, three day I've got the rest of my day ahead of me i can you know recover from that I, I I stay up till 9 p.m it's a bad game it's like midnight 1 a.m And i'm just like wow that was terrible so
4: all right blake so given uh the potentially suboptimal time who you got on saturday
1: as a homer in a toss-up game you've got to go with the gophers i think some kind of 20-17, to 21-16 you know, type of score. I don't think they're going to light up the scoreboard. I think we'll, we will see an improved offensive product, um, but it won't be by leaps and bounds. So I see a low-scoring affair, and I think the Gophers come away with the win and take advantage of the, the Beavers' um, weak rushing attack. Mark, how about you?
2: Yeah, I'll go with the Gophers' 20-10. to 10. Ugly game, but uh, I think we come out on top, similar to last year. Less, less scoring than last year.
4: Tom, how about you?
3: I, I think the go, Gophers win. I think it's relatively close. Um, like someone said earlier, I love that this is a, a Power 5 road test early in the season um, against a team that's not very good. And like Chris said, doesn't really scare me. I think they win. I think it's close. Um, I don't think they have to come from behind. I think Oregon makes it close late, and we hold them off with our defense.
4: And I would agree. I think it's going to be about 24 to 14. We appear to have lost our fearless leader, which means on that note, thank you very much from all of us for listening. We're going to try and do better next week. Take care, everybody. Go Gophers, Skyuma, and Row the Boat.
1: Go Gophers, Row the Boat.